electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. Today, the sell-off in tech as the Nasdaq shows some signs of a rebound. It is now the time to buy at a discount? We'll talk about it. Then the BuzzFeed SPAC losing some of its buzz. A look inside the latest deal that's raising eyebrows today. Finally, don't miss Reddit founder Alexis Ohanian talking some social media, the metaverse, and crypto later this hour, D. We'll start, Carl, with uh, tech stocks lagging once again. The Dow is up 300 points. Wow, 600 points now. The Nasdaq is only marginally higher as growth stocks in particular have been hit hard. Larger names like Tesla, Adobe, NVIDIA all ending last week lower by 10 percent or more. And just a month after hitting an all-time high, the tech software ETF has fallen into correction territory. 64 percent of its 119 components now trading below their 200-day moving averages. Cloud names also seeing some selling. The cloud computing ETF now on pace for its fourth negative day in five, led to the downside by Zscaler, Cloudflare, Sprout Social, all down almost 8% or greater. It has continued to be a rough environment for these stocks. And guys, I do want to point out SoftBank here, a company that I close that I cover closely, and it often does get hit hard amid these times of growth volatility because of Masasan's outsized bets. Shares in Tokyo down more than 8% last night, down over 20% over the last week amid a slew of bad news for portfolio companies, a lot of the which we have been tracking over the last few weeks. Didi, of course, will begin that process to delist from the NYSE. We had Alibaba's announced reorganization overnight, the growing unlikeliness of that NVIDIA arm deal. We've been here before, John, but it is a reminder that it's not just Kathy Wood and ARC that has made outsized bets on tech growth and that get hit hard in these kinds of environments. Yeah, hit hard, but, I mean, you know me. I always got to zoom in. These are not tough times for so many of these names. Like, yes, they're down for the month. Some of them are down for the year, but after these unbelievable sort of rallies, and a lot of them are seeing really strong sales and demand overall. I mean, take Snowflake. Last week, we had Frank Slootman on. That stock spiked after earnings. It grew the top line 110%. Now, it's not even positive for the week, right? So, so yes, in a sense, it's had some trouble. But then since the IPO, it's still higher. And that IPO mm-hmm. uh, had this amazing pop that a lot of people thought wasn't sustainable. And yet it has been sustained. So I think investor conviction is really, Carl, being tested in this environment. Like, did you really believe what you said you believed in when you said you believed it? Or were you just chasing momentum? Now, now the, the chips are down, even though the semiconductors are up. Uh, it's a good point. I mean, uh, and, and to your point, D, about uh, when exactly some of these folks got in, remarkable data out of Grayscale today that uh, more than half of uh, bit owners of Bitcoin got in in the last 12 months. You would have preferred to have gotten in before that. But for some people, uh, the trade's not been good. 
Yeah, it depends on, I guess, where you got into John's point. Um, over the weekend, wow, it's these weekend moves have become all too commonplace for the crypto complex. Um, but the biggest one we've seen among this year, uh, and as we see these crypto winters, I know there's going to be talk inevitably of are we going to be entering another one? But remember that as time goes on, they have been shorter, John. Yep, yep. And uh, speaking uh, again along these same themes, we got a little bit of a rally overall to start this week. But let's take a look at tech through the lens of a couple of stocks, both of which are right around $100 billion in market cap. Snowflake, as I mentioned before, and IBM. Snowflake, the cloud software company, has been public just over a year, lower today, lower for the month, even after it posted those blowout earnings last week that showed revenue more than doubled from last year. Now, Okta is another software name that's underperforming the major indices today. See it just barely in the green after a strong earnings showing last week. Neither of these stocks qualifies as cheap, but they are growing. And we'll talk more later in the show today about what industry dynamics might create some sustainable growth for names like these in years ahead. IBM, meanwhile, higher today uh, by more than 1%. That stock has been dragging for most of the last 10 years. The challenge is it needs to turn around. The investors aren't convinced has taken hold. You could put Intel in a similar category, though it hasn't been dragging for so long. Investors have it in detention but Intel also getting a boost today. What, last time I looked, it's up better than 3%. So some older stocks doing just fine, thank you. Marvell is down just a little bit today, off those all-time highs post-earnings last week. Uh, Apple's about 3% off all-time highs. Microsoft still up 45% year-to-date, though it's treading water today, Carl. Uh, it is remarkable. Um, there's, uh, you know, large cap equity, John, is uh, 55% of all inflows over the past month. Uh, D, that's been, that data set has been used to argue that there's still uh, a, an appetite out there to buy dips. But clearly, when it's coming to some elements of technology and more specific, mm-hmm. specifically software, uh, people do want to see some multiples uh, re-rated. You know, it feels like we've been talking about this bifurcation in technology names all year, right? Earlier this year, John, we saw sort of those legacy or dinotech names, great chips, whatever you want to call them, see more interest. Did the fundamental story change? I think that's what you're talking about when it comes to some of these names like IBM and Intel. The jury's certainly out. But if you're looking at a tightening environment next year, it's those money-losing, high-growth names that could continue to stay under pressure. Yeah, just be careful, everybody out there, what you call a dinosaur. Remember when Apple was called... <laughs> Microsoft was a dinosaur. Sony recently was a dinosaur. Just, you know, watch the teeth. Not all dinosaurs are equal. That's right. (laughs) Not all go extinct in in the markets anyway. There you go. We're going to stay on the theme of tech as both a growth and a safety play. Joining us now, Credit Suisse Chief U.S. Equity Strategist and Head of Quantitative Research, Jonathan Golub. Jonathan, good morning to you and thanks for being with us. I'm not sure if you heard our conversation about dinosaurs and growth names. Uh, How do you play this market when you continue to see sort of this divide between tech names, high growth and sort of maybe the more solid value ones? Yeah, you know, we just put out a report this morning looking at, and, and we, we looked more than the last week or two, we looked um, quarter to date the last couple of months. And what we're finding is, is that tech broadly defined. So these are obviously large cap, you know, heavy, um, a heavy basket, but the stocks are running up like 12% and the earnings are only driving 2% of that, which is, you know, which means that it's multiple re-rating. Now, if you compare that to old economy, boring stuff you guys are going to find uninteresting and aren't talking about. They're underperforming tech by a mile, 
but delivering much, much better earnings because this inflationary supply chain constrained environment is helping a lot of, you know, old economy dinosaur kind of industries and in, in their earnings, but it's not showed up in their stock prices. So in many ways, there's even a bigger dialogue or dynamic going on here. All right. So, Jonathan, are you talking about trading these names into next year when we're going to get potentially a different monetary policy environment? Are these still long term plays, these sort of boring names that you talk about? Specify which ones also. Right. So, first of all, if you if you take a look at this and say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a growth investor, I believe in these technologies and I'm looking not for what's, what the trade's going to be, but what is it going to look like for a year or two or five? And then, then you want to buy this basket uh, broadly. I really do like these, these bigger names that have high margins that are able to sustain um, growth. But, you know, that, that's, you know, that's kind of where my focus um, tends to be. But nearer term, what you find is that the, a lot of this comes down to what's going on with interest rates. The yield curve is flattened a ton. And when that happens, it tends to be pretty good for growth stocks compared to everything else and very good for technology names compared to everything else. So as much as you want to think about the technologies, the environment, if the Fed pushes harder on getting inflation under control, then the weird winner on this ends up being tech companies. That's interesting. Uh, You know, Jonathan, one thing that you do really well uh, for all of us all year long is keeping us focused on EPS, right? Just S&P earnings for the coming quarter or year. Where are you lately on, on 2022? And do you think any of the guidance that has troubled tech in the last few weeks means that that number is vulnerable? Uh, you know, I don't think that you have. If there's, First of all, if there's a problem in earnings, and I know that this we're having a tech conversation, it's in the financials. The yield curve is flattening, not good for financials. And this year was a great year for them in terms of reserve releases, which is not really earnings, but it shows up in their earnings. And that's going to roll off and they're going to have a harder time. The, the tech stuff has not been and, and won't be as good as, again, this old economy stuff. That, think about a mine, you know, or, 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 or like they, they tend to just benefit or an oil company. They just benefit more from this inflationary surge and the shortages we're seeing. But uh, longer term, they're not, they're not as good a play. So I, I think the tech earnings are going to be great, but they're not going to be the best earners this year. I mean, you're going to end up with, um, I'll tell you what's actually doing really well. We look at factors, like what characteristics, sales growth, sales growth, sales growth. If you look at the big tech companies and what they're driven by, it's high, long-term, big, sustainable margins. But the companies that have really been ripping over the last year are those that are, that are smaller companies that are delivering the strongest sales the sales uh, upside. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan, given what has happened with tech's concentration in the S&P for example, what do you think happens to index fund investing over the next couple quarters? You know, I, 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 we live in a world where, you know, where size matters. You know, I mean, the biggest, you know, look, look at the biggest five companies in the, the benchmark. And I, there, it, what is it, it's Tesla plus four of the big tech companies. And with the exception of Tesla, who has, has a, a super high multiple and uh, weaker earnings, the others have enormous earnings power and no sign that those things are going to, um, you know, be, be, should, should be a problem. So I don't think that this argument that the market is unduly concentrated, they're big because they're big. They're big because they're earning. They're big because they have great margins and great products and they're sustainable. So I think that the index flows are going to be strong. They're going to support those names. 
But that's not the, you know, but that, that's not really the story here. It's that they're great companies. Jonathan Golub, thanks for your insights this morning. We'll talk to you again soon. Pleasure. Coming up, we are talking uh, EVs and Rivian, logistics names and DoorDash, and investing in a group of stocks that you can classify as DevOps. Heck Check is back in two. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Let's get a gut check on a few EV names. Uh, Lucid Motors uh, down uh, almost 10 percent today. The company received a subpoena from the SEC concerning the company's SPAC this year. Shares still in the green since that merger in July. Now has a market cap of about $69 billion. Rivian, a lot of initiations across the street this morning. Goldman and J.P. Morgan are neutral. They like the company's products and they see growth potential but are concerned about the valuation. Other firms more bullish. Morgan Stanley in particular goes overweight, says it's, quote, the one that can challenge Tesla. B of A calls it a buy. Stocks up almost 40% since the IPO with the market cap now of $92 billion. And then, of course, Tesla lower today as the SEC does probe the company over whistleblower claims of defects of solar panels. Tesla is down some 20% in the last month, John, although some don't like to call Talk about bear markets when it comes to specific stock names. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, you know, nod to Mike Santoli there. Let's now take a closer look at Rivian. With us now is Bank of America analyst John Murphy, who initiated with well, a $170 price target this morning. John, welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, okay, I don't get it in the sense that, yes, uh, very promising but isn't execution and being able to ramp manufacturing a huge, huge part of the challenge here, plus the marketing, the branding, all of that stuff that a name like Tesla has built? Why does a name like Rivian get nearly a $100 billion market cap? I think it would be well over that at your price target without having to prove that much of anything. Well, I mean, I think this company in its early days has proved a lot. I mean, it's already producing vehicles, albeit you know only about a thousand probably this year and a little over forty thousand next year. Um, they've got an unbelievably good product. They've got an unbelievably good strategy um, that goes beyond sort of just the tip of the iceberg that traditionally automakers and some cases even Tesla are looking at, and and has a, a sort of a lifetime revenue you know target that's almost two x uh, what most traditional players and even Tesla is going after. Um, you know, and, and you know, the, the product itself is very strong. So I think, you know, as you look at this, you've got great leadership, great technology, a great business plan, and open access to the capital markets at stock where it is right now, where we think it's ultimately going. Uh, we think you have to think about this five to 10 years out 
not in present terms. And I think, you know, RJ and the team are, are really going to prove this out over the next five to 10 years. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the product. When I try to think about this from an investor perspective, do we really know how good the product is? I mean, isn't that something that has to be sort of road tested, customer approved over time? I mean, the concept's great. Uh, it, it's been signed off on by a number of people who should know good from not so good. But w- we've seen that with Nicola, at least implied, and it hasn't panned out. Well, I, I would never tell you this unless I had first-hand experience. So I had the, the luxury of driving the R1T. Um, you know, in one moment, I drove it on a straightaway and got it up to well over 100 miles an hour on a private road um, in, very, in very short order and then climbed a rock wall uh, in that same vehicle uh, about 15 seconds later. Um, so I would say that, you know, if you think about the product having a performance sedan and a massive, great off, off-road vehicle all-in-one, uh, package there. I, I think the product is, is pretty damn good. It's not a rolling chassis or anything like we saw before in any of the, these other companies. This is a really good, um, great product uh, with a very good strategy. So no, I, I think you know the product stands unto itself. And once it gets out there into enough customers' hands, the, the ball and the momentum will really roll. Right, John, once it gets into customers' hands, but so much of the bull case about this company has been about the idea that it's going to be supplying Amazon's EV fleet. Is there a risk that Rivian puts all of its investment towards that product and misses the consumer appeal that has made Tesla such a winner in the space? It's a great question. I think when you look at the foundation of the 100,000 units order they have through 2025, which will ultimately probably be more than that, from Amazon on the EDV or the van itself, um, you know, that creates a, a great basis for um, building, you know, critical mass or critical volume um, in, the, in the manufacturing um, facilities. I do think the 55,000 orders you have on the consumer side um, will grow over time. But the dual tracking of those products together is really what RJ is focusing on. So you can understand launching more and more products simultaneously going forward. So I don't think RJ and the team are really just focused on the van. I think they're focused on both products and understanding how to launch multiple products at the same time so that as they ultimately, you know, march towards their, their goal of, and this will take very long, to getting to 10 million units, um, you know, over time, they'll be able to handle these multiple launches that you'll need to do year in and year out, uh, which is something that Tesla has really not done. Um, and I think this is very unique, and it may mean that it takes them a bit longer to get to escape velocity out in 2030 plus, uh, but they're doing it and approaching this in, in a correct way. So, no, I don't think um, there's any hyper-focus on one product. It's a hyper-focus on understanding how to launch, launch multiple products at a time to really create true growth that is something that is lacking uh, in Tesla as far as this multiple product launch um, ability. Right. But, John, you, you would agree that it's that relationship with Amazon that makes Rivian Rivian, right? There's no, there's no I mean, a lot of the notes this morning just point out that the, their access to capital uh, and influence uh, flows largely through Amazon, something that uh, a lot of their rivals don't have. Listen, I think it creates a great basis for, once again, filling, filling the factories, as well as potentially helping build out a network of necessary service stations that you could leverage on the commercial side and on the consumer side. But, Carl, listen, I would not discount this R1T um, or the R1S. If you drive this, you'll understand you have a product, at least in my opinion, it is far superior fit, finish, and quality, um, riding, handling, and everything else to what Tesla has, has put out as far as the, what a mainstream consumer would like. So I, I think it, you know, the, the Amazon side of the story is, is critical to building sort of the foundational volume that you need to drive one of these companies' success over the long term. But the consumer side is, is pretty fantastic as well. So, no, I wouldn't just put, say it's, they're putting all their eggs in the, 
in the in the uh, EDV and the Amazon basket. They've got their eggs in a lot of baskets, and and they're pretty full. All right, and the the basket getting more full. It, it appears the baskets, I should say, with that stock up four percent this morning. John, thank you. Thank you. In the broader markets, John, the Dow is up more than 600 points. So is it time for a year-end rally? Our next guest thinks so. We'll discuss. Plus, yet another name initiating Apple at a buy this morning, KeyBank, as they point to services still having room to run in the face of weakness in the rest of the market. Apple is up again today. It's up 11% over the last month and 30% year-to-date. More tech checks straight ahead. Stay with us. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Boza with Carl Quintilla, John Fort, and Julia Borston. Stocks are seeing a huge divergence today. The Dow is up some 600 points, but the Nasdaq floating around the flat line. Cloud software, ARC funds all lower. Even AMD and NVIDIA, which have been such strong performers, they are down more than 5%. Plus, another sign of caution as investors flee the BuzzFeed spec despite opening higher. Those details in just a moment. But first, let's get a news update with Dom Chu. Dom. All right, Deirdre. So what's happening right now? Here's what's happening at this hour. Ford Motor is pushing back its return to work hybrid plan until March. The carmaker citing a continued uncertainty about the state of the pandemic. Ford had previously said it would not begin bringing workers back to the office before January. The New York Stock Exchange is getting a new president and board chairman. Current president Stacey Cunningham will be replaced by Lynn Martin, the head of the parent company Intercontinental Exchange's fixed income and data exchange business. Sharon Bowen, a board member of ICE and the NYSE, will become the next chair of the overall stock exchange. Retailer Kohl's seeing its shares jump 9%. Hedge fund Engine Capital is pushing the company to sell the company or spin off its e-commerce division. And oil prices are surging along with the stock market today, easing worries about the Omicron variant helping the crude oil prices gain following six straight weeks of declines. Meanwhile, prices at the pump are dropping as well. The national average for a gallon of gasoline dropping two cents over the past two weeks to $3.46 per gallon. Carl, I'll send things back over to you, folks. All right, Don, thank you very much. Uh, BuzzFeed SPAC merger turning into a bit of a buzz kill. 94% of investors in the SPAC did redeem their shares, choosing not to participate in the deal. Shares were higher and now lower by about uh, 9.5%. Leslie Pickers got that story for us. Hi, Leslie. Yeah, that's right, Carl. It's been a volatile first day of trading for BuzzFeed today. 
As you mentioned, shares surging nearly 30 percent at the open, only to plummet to trade lower by about 8 percent currently, although the day is still young. BuzzFeed marks its debut today after completing a merger with a SPAC known as 895th Avenue Partners. Apparently, that's a nod to the address of the Avengers headquarters. Uh, The volatility, though, is the result of a small amount of shares being floated in the market after the SPAC received an abnormally large amount of redemptions. Ninety-four percent of investors opted to sell their shares at the IPO price. That proportion more than double the average redemption rate for SPACs this year. It also means that BuzzFeed receives only $16 million in cash. You know, having a lot of cash uh, would would be nice, um, but it's important to use your cash in a way that um, where where you really are understanding the inputs and outputs of your business and, and, and and right. investing wisely. And um, we've been able to do that and be able to, to being able to have a business that generates cash is, is more important than just, um, you know, raising a ton of cash. But what- that was CEO Jonah Peretti on Squawk Box this morning. Also important to note that the company will receive gross proceeds of $150 million from convertible notes in connection with this merger as well. NBC Universal, the parent company of CNBC, is an investor in BuzzFeed. Now, Many public market investors see BuzzFeed's debut today as a proxy for market appetite for digital media. If that's the case, they may be in for a wild ride. Guys. Uh, One of Jonah's points this morning, Leslie, was like, doesn't change our strategy, the redemptions that is. He's like, I'm not an expert on SPACs. I see it as a means to an end. And, And by that, he means getting public, but also doing an acquisition in concert with that. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting rationale for doing a SPAC versus other methods for exiting uh, for the investors and for um, employees if they so choose to sell their shares down the road. Um, This is certainly a a point for SPAC uh, investors as well as companies that are considering investing in SPACs. This redemption aspect to a lot of these SPACs mean that you know, it does embed this risk that you could have a smaller float on the day that you go public than you initially expected, which could lead to, of course, less cash on hand, the $16 million, as I referenced, as well as a more volatile first day of trading. It's going to take a while for that float size to increase, uh, which, of mm-hmm. course, can help kind of match supply and demand a little better. But in the meantime, if the first day is any indication there, we could be in for, uh, for a lot of volatility. Leslie, I wonder, do you think that this does anything to the broader SPAC popularity, which we've already seen decline a little bit? But, you know, retail investors have really bought into the phenomenon over the last year or so. BuzzFeed is such a big consumery name that is going to get a lot of headlines. Mm-hmm. A lot, I think, would be watching this one. What does it do to the, the model and popularity going forward? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, we have had so many instances this year of retail names getting hurt, especially off, uh, out of the gate. Uh, what'll be really interesting and I think could provide an even more chilling, uh, effect on this market is kind of how regulators really play a role here. We saw news this morning about Lucid getting a subpoena from the SEC. There were headlines, uh, just a short while ago related to, uh, the SPAC that Trump's planned media and technology company is, is intending to merge with, with regard to FINRA and the SEC. And so once those all kind of play out, I think we'll have a much better understanding with regard to how regulators plan to really look at this space. Uh, And that's something that I think retail investors should be paying attention to as well. 
Yeah, uh, along with uh, watching the ad market and, and relative strength or weakness there, too. Uh, Leslie, fascinating. We'll see how it uh, does today. That's our Leslie Picker. Let's stay with investor appetite for risk in this market. Joining us this morning, Fundstrat Global Advisors, Tom Lee. We'd love to take Tom's temperature, so to speak. And I know, Tom, we've talked about a year-end melt-up. Uh, now we're hearing more about mid-December in terms of seasonality. Uh, getting some last-minute strength. But you do acknowledge that your target is now a, a tougher call. Uh, yes, good morning, Carl. It absolutely is. The S&P lost 200 points in the last 10 days. It's down 5%. So from 4,500 to 4,800 is, is a huge move, and it's it's a big ask. But I think given how much cash has been raised on the sidelines because of investor panic around uh, the Fed and Omicron, I I think it's still in place. So I, I would say our, our base case is still we, we exit 2021 above S&P 500, 4,800. Interesting. Do you think you need to have things like the VIX go back to somewhere in the low 20s before people see sense an all clear? Or do you think bets are going to get made in advance of that? Uh, that's, a, it, that's a great question. Um you know, we highlighted in our note this morning that, you know, like when you look at prime brokerage data and investor gross leverage is at the lowest levels all year. And if you look at money market funds, institutional investors raised cash five, six consecutive weeks at the highest cash balance all of 2021. And so it, it looks like people panicked because of the Fed pivot and Omicron. And the VIX is another way people bought protection. So, Carl, I, I mean, the Reality is, like, the VIX could easily make it a move back into the mid-teens in a matter of weeks. That, I think, would be coincident with the rally starting. And I think, for instance, uh, you know, again, I'm not a scientist, but all the incoming anecdotes haven't shown Omicron to be more lethal. And the Fed's already made what looks like a hawkish pivot, and that's been almost immediately priced into credit. So, as you know, if things get less bad, that's good. So I, I kind of just still think what's in play in the next you know, between now and your end is actually a strong rally. It's just, of course, from a much lower level. Tom, what do you make of investor sentiment overall here? And three things I would call out. The strong moves higher on Snowflake and Okta last week after earnings, or they're still lower, say, for the month. This rally that we're seeing today in names like IBM uh, and, and Apple and then NVIDIA and AMD, which have performed so well throughout the year, are lower by about 5%. Uh, yeah, John, it's a, I mean, part of, uh, the tech headwinds this year, uh, has been that they were just so good in 2020. And so many stocks got earnings growth and, you know, strengthened their market position, even had pricing power, but then their PEs derated. I, I think that reverses in 2022. So to me, like big cap tech, you know, the FANG complex, a lot of these high quality, large cap tech, especially leaders, uh, I think are going to be the things people allocate to in 2022. I mean, and keep in mind, like, you know, the tenure now is at one, three something, you know, I mean, they talk about Tina. I mean, uh, you know, you're paying, you know, almost 70 times for a 30 year bond, a 10 year bond actually. And, and so I think equities with a sub 20 PE is just still a great risk reward. 
And Tom, you're referring to there is no alternative, but we are seeing sort of this massive divergence in tech stocks versus valuation. And many of the growth names and crypto that's selling off hard have been popular with this newer, younger cohort of investors that may have come to the market in the last 18 months or so. It would seem that they're getting burned disproportionately. What would be your advice to them? Um, I mean, you know, Bitcoin's a hyper-volatile, and crypto's hyper-volatile. I mean, that's the, the sort of systemic to the, that asset class. So I, I do think uh, these drawdowns, while they're really painful, especially for newer folks, I mean, that's the history of Bitcoin. I mean, you know, if you look at Bitcoin's history, uh, every year Bitcoin makes all of its gains in 10 days. And if you don't own Bitcoin for those 10 days, you're down 25% a year. So to me... Uh, like the, the kind of weekend massacre that happens, it's painful, but that's pretty common. And, and there is, you know, there's still leverage in, in crypto, especially crypto trading, and, and these liquidations are painful. But it doesn't change the fact that there's 7 billion people, only about 200 million people, actually individuals globally really have a crypto wallet. So it's, it still has exponential growth ahead. Yeah. Nope. I mean, if you're... Um these, these Saturday morning surprises are getting uh, less and less surprising, so to speak. Uh, Tom, we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Thanks. Great. Tom thanks. Lee. Take care. Ahead of the holidays, how Amazon's beating the supply chain slowdown. We've got a great piece on that at CNBC.com. And now a category of enterprise software names you should know about as some close in on triple-digit gains for the year. That's next. We're back in two. We are expecting an IPO this week, HashiCorp, uh, perhaps a $13 billion valuation. And for today's thread, wanted to tie that back to a number of public companies that have seen significant growth in the last year, among them Asana, Atlassian, and Confluent. We don't talk about these stocks all that often as a group. They're part of a category sometimes called DevOps, which is where software development meets IT operations. Other ways to play the theme are public companies GitLab, JFrog, and PagerDuty, GitLab has earnings today after the bell, page duty tomorrow. And you may have noticed a number of acquisitions in the space as well, from IBM buying Red Hat to Salesforce, Slack, and Microsoft GitHub. Uh, Thursday's HashiCorp IPO will be just the latest test of investor appetite for these DevOps names, all of which have been hard hit by the recent sell-off. D, uh, it's sort of hard to get your arms completely around what is and isn't uh, DevOps, HashiCorp, what they really do, it's another multi-cloud play. It's being able to provision things in the cloud. Cloud migrations are part of that. Optimization is part of that. But it's a mix of software tools that help software developers mm-hmm. to make the guts of the enterprise run better. And guys, this is going to be a really important IPO, right? Because it's going to kind of test investor appetite and see if perhaps this gross sell-off that we've been seeing in public markets is trickling through to private market valuations. We know that there has been a ton of money in the space, especially enterprise development, DevOps. I was looking at their uh, deal table, Carl, and they were valued at just over $5 billion in March of 2020, going public at $12.5 billion. So that'll be an important indication of how investors are feeling and perhaps that IPO window, if it's starting to close or chill a little bit, given the moves we've seen in tech. Uh, It is interesting. I mean, uh, John, to your point, there's a lot of vendors out there and and it's sort of hard to know which one of them is going to achieve scale as uh, as the enterprise tries to consolidate uh, their vendors. But what we do know is that there's a continued corporate CapEx, CapEx boom. Uh, as companies reinvent IT. That idea is not going away. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's talk about every company being a software company. I don't know about that. But if every company is hiring more software developers, they're going to need some picks and shovels, right? That's part of this DevOps story. Yeah. Uh, meantime, shares of a ride-hailing giant Grab, the world's biggest SPAC this year, have plunged since their debut. J.P. Morgan, though, says now is the time to buy. They initiated overweight today. Uh, coming up, Reddit founder Alexis Ohanian will join us. Don't go away. Serena Williams and husband Alexis Ohanian of Reddit and Initialized Capital fame announcing an expansion of their tech and media business. Julia Borston joins us with the story and the man. Julia. Well, entertainment tech startup Invisible Universe, it wants to be the Pixar of the Internet, launching characters on social media to then expand onto other platforms. Now, last week, the company announced a children's book based on Serena Williams' character Quay Quay. Quakeway has more than three and a half million social media followers, most of them on TikTok. Then this morning, Invisible Universe announced a new character in partnership with Jennifer Aniston. One of its other investors, Alexis Ohanian, founder of Reddit and VC firm 776, he joins us now. Alexis, thanks for talking to us today. I know you've been involved in this Thank company you. since the very beginning. What do you see as the full potential? What's the addressable market here? Look, you know, the reason I was so impressed was what Invisible Universe realized was that creating IP, creating intellectual property was not going to look like the way it used to Pixar, Disney, where you could be in production for years, creating something that you just hope people are going to like. Today in the age of social media, where we have global real-time distribution, what fans actually want is a relationship with these characters from the very start in the places where they spend the most time, social media. And Quake was an obvious first, uh, simply because, you know, I, I saw the way that the community of, of my wife's fans in particular were responding to this one doll that she had bought for our daughter. And the Invisible Universe team said, hey, there's, there's potential here to build something that could be, in a way, the next, the next Mickey Mouse, uh, but for a, a truly internet first, internet native uh, entertainment property. So where do these brands go for an internet native property? Are we talking about developing TV shows to sell to the Netflix of the world or about bringing these characters into the metaverse or about NFTs, which I know you are very mm -hmm. interested in? Yes. Yeah. You know, I'm a big believer in all things Web3. And, and I think we have an opportunity here that's essentially, in many ways, it's all the above, right? We're going to have a chance to build relationships with, with Woody and Buzz uh, from their very start. And, and I really do believe there's a roadmap here for giving the biggest fans a chance to really own a piece of it, to own a stake of, of, you know, uh, characters that they'll grow to really love over time. And, and I do think there are some traditional channels, you know, I, a, a book is a great place to start um, as, as wonderful as technology is. So many of us get our start reading, uh, you know, holding, holding a dead tree, uh, spending time with our family, and, and reading that way. And so I, I think we'll, it may seem anachronistic, but we will be using uh, pretty old school methods for delivering this, uh, this kind of storytelling, as well as new things. And uh, it's really going to where our fans are. 
So the fact that these brands, these characters start on social media, you know, the first thing that comes to mind to me is the fact that there's been so much scrutiny of the dangerous impact of social media on kids, particularly mm-hmm. of Instagram. I mean, Adam Oseri is going to be testifying on this issue this week. When you think about having a brand that is so or brands, this whole portfolio brands are so integrated with social media. How do you think about those risks on kids and how does this mm. play into your larger web three vision for decentralized social media? Yes. Well, at the end of the day, the way the internet is going is cutting out any and all middlemen that get between the sort of creator uh, and the fan. And so as long as you are sitting on one of those two ends, uh, you're going to have a good time. And so in our case, the, the particular social media channels are not as important as the community and the relationship that we're building between uh, IP, between someone like Kwe Kwe, uh and and her fan base. Because at the end of the day, those fans will go from one platform to another, or, or I believe, to your point, ultimately, um, to a decentralized format where what what people at the end of the day really want is that relationship and is that sense of community. And those are the, the really the biggest themes that exist in Web3 that make this technology so appealing. Uh, but for the time being, you know, we're using the distribution channels that are available. But I, I could see this shifting pretty quickly. And, and what's been so important is, you know, with Kwe Kwe in particular, with this book, The Adventures of Kwe Kwe, it's, it's bringing her personality to a lot of people and giving a story of, of friendship, of positivity. One of the things that's so special about all these characters in the Invisible Universe is that if you look in the comments, you're seeing something that doesn't exist anywhere else in social media. I mean, people are being relentlessly positive and encouraging and fun. And it is, it's a really powerful antidote to what we often see in the comments of social media. And that, that combined with the great storytelling is, is something really special. Alexis, you're talking about depth of engagement. In a way, I want to bring this together with some of what you've been saying, tweeting about Board Ape Yacht Club and the mm-hmm. NFT market and its potential. I still see this gulf in depth of uh, story and emotional engagement in, for example, what Disney's got and mm-hmm. some of what's created that's digital native. I mean, you, you've got mm-hmm. modern mythology with a lot of these storylines and characters that people keep coming back to, whether it's Lucasfilm, Marvel, et cetera. Mm -hmm. What's it going to take for you to build that out with your properties? Or are you even interested in building that kind of depth? Oh, absolutely. And I I would argue the relationship that we had, I'll use myself personally, (laughs) with with Luke Skywalker, you know, was limited to a few feature films, uh, maybe some books, some comics, you know, over a very long period of time. The characters we're creating here are characters we see in our feeds every single day. We're getting updates from them. We understand their lives. They'll respond to us. Imagine, imagine it, it sounds absurd, but imagine the, the feeling of connection that a child is going to have getting a response from, you know, Quay Quay, um, right? These are, these are the opportunities that we see that definitely feel a little, I think, weird to those of us on the other side of this digital divide. Um, but at the end of the day, for digital native, this is table stakes. This is, in a way, ironically, because these characters are clearly fake, they can be more real than the real people who act fake on these platforms. And, and there is something kind of poetic to the fact that because everyone is in on it, because everyone understands that, yes, obviously, Kwe Kwe is, is, is not real, um, that, that she can deliver a message that's actually more authentic and honest. And, and I think, especially these days, it's what, it's what folks are looking for. 
Fascinating times to be creating new brands. Alexis, I hope you'll come back and talk to us more about your vision for Web3. Alexis Ohanian, thanks so much. For sure. Thank you for having me. MongoDB and Coupa Software, two names helping kick off another week of earnings. Both report results in just a few hours. We'll have a lot more here tomorrow on Tech Check. We're back in a moment. One more thing, and that is DoorDash making some news this morning that it's going to start offering 10 to 15 minute delivery on some items in some cities. But I think the key here, guys, is how announcements like this affect DoorDash's valuation. Gig economy names like Uber and Lyft, they were never really among those growth outperformers this year. In fact, they've been underperformers since going public. They could stay under pressure in a Fed tightening environment next year with, they still remember, have large net losses. DoorDash, though, continues to outperform the rest of the gig economy and today, further separating itself from the pack with that announcement. And this is about more than just super quick delivery. It's about the model that relies on vertical integration, the build-out and ownership of micro-fulfillment centers and actual employees to staff them. So this could ultimately make Dash look more like a logistics company than that asset light 3P delivery platform that was sort of its first phase of growth, something that may not be all that surprising if you've been listening carefully to Tony Shu over the years, as I know you have, John, but it does help to explain that valuation premium. Yeah, uh, and we've tried to tell investors that story because it's not just a pie in the sky sort of thing. Tony Shu has been building this out. The efficiency that DoorDash is trying to bring isn't just about delivery. It's also about creation and production. For example, call grocery stores offering prepared foods like that Albertson partnership we were talking about a couple months ago and restaurants being able to uh, become labs where they, you know, launch uh, a digital concept out of the same kitchen, a, a whole different brand, DoorDash is trying to create the conditions for exactly that sort of thing. Yep, uh, that's awfully fast, I got to say, even within a metro area, D. Although I always think back to uh, Oswald DeModeran, uh, Stern School of Business, Dean of Valuations, who has argued that delivery is great, but he doesn't buy it on a grocery level because classically those margins are thin. How mm -hmm. long can you afford to pay those kinds of delivery suppliers? And that's a key question. You can't do this kind of quick commerce with, you know, 2,500 SKUs that you would have in a grocery store. You have to start smaller with those dark stores or micro-fulfillment centers. And, John, there's been so much money and so much movement in this space. You see an Uber, for an example, that's relying on partnerships, not doing that vertical integration as of yet, at least. And investors aren't really buying that story. DoorDash is kind of flipping this model. Well, the margins on prepared foods, Carl, are higher. So if those grocery stores can offer other <laughs> higher margin items, that could change the game. We'll see. Touche, touche. Uh, interesting, uh, guys. Today, second best three-day stretch for the Dow over the NDX of the year as we got the Dow up 600. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.